You're listening to an ACA podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to ACA. Thanks, everyone, for coming down on such a cold, miserable day. It's lovely to see you all here. My name's Adrienne. I'm the curator of public programs here. And today we're having our opening weekend talks for our On Vulnerability and Doubt exhibition, which opened last night. I hope a few of you joined us. It was a great event. Um, before we start, I'd just like to take a moment to acknowledge the Boon people who are the traditional owners and sovereign custodians on the land in which we're meeting today, along with the Wurundjeri and Kulin Nations, and I would like to extend our respects to Elders past and present and to all First Nations people that may be in the audience today. This exhibition on vulnerability and doubt is created by uh, Max Delaney, who's the artistic director here at ACCA. And it brings together seven artists that look at themes of vulnerability and doubt, but also love, shame, awkwardness, intimacy, and desire. And it also looks at the complexities for artists of putting themselves and their work on display. So a lot of um, interesting things going on there. Uh, today, we're blessed to have three of the artists in the show talking with us. We have Shireen Fart, who's come from Sydney. Archie Moore has come down from Brisbane. And we are also thrilled to have Ambera Wellman here for a week. She is a Canadian artist and she uh, lives and works in Berlin. So each artist, artist today will be talking for about 10 minutes. We'll do about five minutes question time and we'll be moving through the three spaces. So you'll just have to come on that journey with us. And we should be all wrapped up by four o'clock, hopefully. So um, Ambera will be starting today. So, Ambera's pra painting practice is rooted in art historic historical traditions of figuration and its contemporary feminist unpacking. Underpinned by a long-held interest in the uncanny dark humour and an interest in the reconsideration of the eroticised body. Ambera was born in Canada and completed a Bachelor of Arts and Master of Fine Arts there before relocating to Berlin after receiving the 2016 Joseph Plaskett Foundation Award, an endowment award designed to support early early career Canadian artists to work internationally. Ambera is the recipient of the BMO First Art Prize from the Museum of Contemporary Canadian Art in Toronto and also the 2017 Acquisitive National Prize for the 19th Annual RBC Painting Competition at the National Gallery of Canada. She has recently hold, held solo exhibitions in Berlin, Mexico City, Amsterdam, and throughout Canada. And this year, she will have solo exhibitions at the KTZ Gallery in Berlin and Company Gallery in New York. And Barra's work is currently in an exhibition, Paint, also known as Blood, at the Museum of Modern Art in Warsaw. And she'll be part of the 16th Istanbul Biennale this year in September. Very exciting. So thanks, everyone, for coming. And please join me in welcoming Ambera. Hi guys, thank you for coming. Um, I'm quite shy, so I have my little cheat notes here. Um, and feel free to jump in with questions at any point while I'm talking, that's fine. Um, when Max initially approached me with the idea of the exhibition, um, I identified with it immediately because my work is based on um, personal experience. And so um, this, of course, involves a certain degree of vulnerability. I'm very interested in um, ideas of desire, eroticism, uh, vulnerability, and intimacy in my work. Um, and very interested in the presence of emotion within the figurative canon. Um, so while this work is explored um, from my perspective as a woman, interestingly enough, um, 
the body of the woman is the locus upon which patriarchy has been centered for a great deal of time. And so um, I feel that my perspective is um, complicated and problematized by this relationship, by an embodied and internalized sense of patriarchy. So this problem becomes the subject of my work on occasion and um, affects my methodologies as I make my work. And um, so I, I feel like I'm making my paintings about desire in a context and climate of patriarchy, which is important to my practice. Um, my background interests are really centered around historical figuration. Um, I'm interested in the sense of seduction in historical figuration that not only comes from the body, but a sense of completeness, a complete rendering of the body, a sense of wholeness. And in this body of work, as well as my previous work, I've wanted to sort of transpose the grandiosity of historical figuration into smaller, more intimate moments of embodied affect and vulnerability, of course. Um, and this, for me, is a way to conceive of a contemporary moment in a historical object. And so I'm, I'm interested in how an image can splinter things into plurality and how we can see things as they were, as they are, and as they might be simultaneously. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with my previous work, but I often used porcelain in the past as a surrogate for the female body. Um, so I was interested in a sense of suppressed eroticism and a suppressed violence, and, um, which I always found to be prescient and sort of prophetic in the history of figuration. And my older works contained a kind of seductive, highly articulated porcelain surface that betrayed a sense of um, rupture and pentimenti and violence un excuse me, underneath. So there was a sense of something pretending to be something that it wasn't. Um, and there was a feeling of seeing things simultaneously in that previous body of work as well. Um, so I frequently work with um, existing art historical bodies. So this painting, for example, started with a study of um, Felix Vallotton's beautiful butt painting, if any of you are familiar with it. Um, and from there I began to incorporate, um, this for example is Velasquez's Venus. And I often rotate works while I'm creating the painting and it has a way of uh, defamiliarizing the body as you work on it. So you see the body as a series of parts rather than a whole as in this process. And using existing art historical examples for me, um, I think of it as a form of reenactment. And reenactment implies identification. So it's a kind of memorial repetition that brings something out of the past and into the space of the present, which for me is an important feminist gesture in my my practice because it refuses to think about things canonically where I think a lot of their sort of masculine power comes from. Um, when you hold paper, you can see how your hands shake. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so a desire in my work is, um, it's a methodology as well as an engine. And it led me to, um, you know, working from personal experience, uh, it led me to pursue more explicit content about a year and a half ago. So this is a very new body of work. But I feel like desire pushes a space for identity to form. It serves as an engine for the formation of new relationships. And desire expresses a kind of multivalent self. It's a self in process. It necessi necessitates a self in relation, which I think is important. 
And the bodies, especially the women's bodies in my work, are desired, but also desiring. So there's no clear boundaries or distinctions necessarily between bodies in my work. There's no sense of wholeness that you find in historical figuration. Um, and as I moved forward with the series, desire and erotics became a way for me to think about space. And I think about desire as being um, a profoundly spatial phenomenon. So I think about it now more about how we embody space with our desires, how it encourages new sets of spatial relationships in a pictorial sense. Um, because when we think about space and time, I think we think of it in terms of a binary relationship where space is fixed and time is motion. But I think of space as a very relational concept that is constantly being transformed by the objects and things and people within it. And so they're transformed according to a subject's effective and excuse me, instrumental relations within it. Um, so more recently, I've been interested in how a body can create the space around it, how the body transforms the space around it in the painting. And so most recently, I've been trying to establish um, bodies as almost like non-beings, bodies that are what they are not. Um, so they're found in my paintings via like uh, processes of erasure or by establishing a sense of hybridity that creates a kind of third space in and of itself. Um, I'm looking for alternative positions and non-binary relationships and um, figures that create negative space around them. And so this is a kind of pluralistic and multivalent self that I'm interested in where things can be recognized but not understood. And so it's a way of like um, rationalizing the invisible and visualizing something irrational simultaneously. Um, and so in this sense of undecidedness, I feel like this is where um, a figurative painting can express its potentiality, like not what it is at this moment, but a way so that you can see what it might have once been, what it is now, and what it might be. So it's potentiality. That's it. <laughs>
Thank you for coming. It's always incredible coming to Melbourne. You're just so generous as audiences always come out in whatever weather. Um, in Sydney, if it rains, you'd have one person. But, it, but also, you would also only have one person if it was sunny, so. Um, so this work is an old, it's an old work, um, but also uh, the opportunity to exhibit it is a, makes it a new work. It's never been exhibited. It's kind of lived on my website, I guess, since 2011. And I had this joke that um, if you wait long enough as an artist in Australia, someone will eventually exhibit the work. Um, so it, start, it actually started, uh, it was a street uh, project poster kind of public art intervention project um, that took place during a day and um, it was meant to stay up for a week but I actually don't know if it even made it past three days because as I was walking down, so it's Foley Lane in Darlinghurst which is a laneway that runs parallel to Oxford Street. It's the, one of the most disgusting um, back alleyways in Sydney and it's just full of um, rubbish and uh, posters for advertising, uh, you know, underground parties and um, graffiti and I approached the curator of the project um, who was having a, uh, an exhibition on Oxford Street in a pop-up shop and I said to her, I don't want to exhibit in the space, I actually want to exhibit in the back lane and um, I think... The idea came from, I'd been working during this residency, um, writing down all of my fears in a kind of continuous, pathetic sort of list. And it came out of uh, reading, I was reading a Krishnamurti, who's an Indian philosopher, book called um, On Fear. And he kind of is an amazing philosopher, he's very rational. And he suddenly made something that seemed quite irrational, like fear. Um, it was a problem that could be solved. So I thought, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write down all my fears, I'm going to get rational about this thing. Um, and it started off as, you know, the, the really obvious fears on the list were fear of getting old, fear of dying, fear of failing, um, and, then, and fear of being a bad mother. So I'd just become, I basically had two little kids and I discovered that... Um, I suddenly had fears. I, I felt that I'd had absolutely no connection. I felt like I had no fears prior to having kids and then suddenly you have this baby that the hospital's allowing you to take home and you're driving up King Street in Newtown at about five kilometres an hour because you think there's this, I don't know, I don't know, what this. what is this thing in the car with us? It was so incredible, this kind of shift from feeling completely unconscious and um, invincible to suddenly feeling really, really precarious and vulnerable and giving a shit, like giving a shit about a person. Um, I hadn't, yeah, it, it, was, it was weird. So feeling, fear of being a bad mother, um, it was quite incredible to write that down, to go, what, what constitutes a bad mother in this instance? Um, and then the fears became more and more and more ex um, kind of banal and explicit. So there was fear of dying in a plane crash and leaving my children motherless or fear of looking like a man. So I had really short hair and I'd had really short hair for a very long time and there was always this idea that, um, you know, I'd kind of compromised my femininity for a good part of two decades because I'd decided to always have very short hair. And so I started to kind of 
unearth these fears that I probably would never have um, even really been aware of. And I thought the back lane, rather than a pop-up shop on Oxford Street, was uh, the best place to kind of um, make them public in as much as, uh, you know, um, the back lane kind of functioned as a sort of private space in the context of, well, comparative to Oxford Street. It was like the, you know, this kind of space just behind. Um, it wasn't being traversed in the way that Oxford Street is. It was a minor space. Um, and it, I, I also thought it kind of mirrored that idea of, I mean, in a, in a public context, the laneway was a private space within a public space. So um, the curator got permission from the City of Sydney and off we went on a, I don't know what day it was, Friday morning, and my sister came along and we had um, a huge uh, pot full of glue uh, paste that I'd made up from a recipe on the internet. And away we went pasting up these posters and there was little ones and there was really big ones. Um, and it was interesting to think about the big ones in kind of wide open spaces and the little ones um, like that being very down low and hidden behind a weed. So I started to play around with these spaces. But at the same time, I kind of I had to be very spontaneous. I couldn't think about it because I had a guy hot on my heels tearing the posters down. And so... Um, it was interesting because Miriam asked me actually whether it was cathartic to undertake that process and I said no, it was absolutely no catharsis in it whatsoever. It was, I was shitting myself because there was this guy who was yelling at me, I'm sick of you people, you people live on this street, you think you can just come and stick up your posters and I said to him, oh, it's okay, it's only, it's for an artwork, I've got permission from the City of Sydney, I'm going to come back and take them all down, uh, it's temporary, no, so he was running after me, tearing them down, so I figured my sister, um, you know, had a camera, so she photographed me pasting that one up and then I went through and started to collect photos of all the others because I thought this is the only way I'm going to be able to have any record of this work because I don't know how long they're going to be up. But the interesting thing was they, were, they did stay up and they were up for the opening of this exhibition and people walked through the lane. Um, and actually for the next kind of three, four days, um, you know, people would say things like, oh, God, I read, I read those fear posters. They, I couldn't stop laughing. Or, you know, you've got the same fears that I do or I've got that, it's that specific fear. And, you know, these are um, probably half of them, maybe even a third of them. And there were fears like fear of getting a parking ticket or um, uh, fear of the, uh, the neighbour never taking his skip bins inside or really kind of banal, stupid fears. And... I, th I got this idea that after um, people started sharing their fears with me, um, that I should start collecting them. So I organised this online survey and um, my brother's this kind of famous radio announcer in Dubai, so he gave it a plug on his radio show and on his Facebook. And so suddenly I had surveys coming in from Melbourne, Sydney, London, Germany... Um, and all over the Arab 
emirates and surrounds. And I'd asked in that survey for you to enter three fears and your place, where you live. And um, I was interested in whether geography played some function in how we fear or what we fear. And to have kind of the Middle East on one side and Australia on the other, I thought that would give us an interesting kind of comparative study. And what was interesting was that um, we, there was no, I, you know, if you took away where people lived, fu fundamentally there was something kind of uh, similar. Fear of failing was repeated over and over and over again. Um, it was interesting that no one actually stated what they feared failing, like failing what? And that was never specified. It was just a general fear of failing. Um, yeah, fear of growing old, fear of dying, fear of losing loved ones, fear of spiders, um, fear of balloons popping, fear of being addicted to porn, fear of crossing the Westgate Bridge, which was from a Melbourneian. Um, you know, the list goes on. So I've got 300 of these. So for this show, we're going to kind of start an, up another... I've started up another survey so I can collect all of yours. Um, but I think uh, there's something really incredible. One, there's something quite incredible about this show. Um, I had to do an interview this morning and I thought, uh, in the age of exhibitions that appeal to Instagram, this is almost like the counter in that it's quiet, like what it's trying to deal with um, is quite sophisticated. It's like something that vulnerability and doubt is something that's in a way not visible. Um, it's, it's hidden, it's interior to us. Um, and to kind of visualise, you know, if I think about my practice as a whole, it's often, like my, my doctorate was about hiding from the camera. So it's always been, I've been interested in concealment and um, hiding as a kind of counter performance to appearing in the world. And this work in a way is the antithesis to that. It's like this strange outlier from the rest of my practice because it's the one thing that doesn't hide. It actually gives something, like I give something over to you um, of myself in order that you might give something of you to me and that there's this kind of, um, you know, a desire, I guess, for some intersubjective experience with others, strangers, um, that the work attempts to elicit. And it's also to... Because I think, you know, you have to... You grow up... I don't know, I guess it's this idea of like having to have a front of being, for artists as well, you have to be confident, you have to um, appear as though you've got your shit together. You know, you're an adult, you've got to have your shit together. And to kind of just say, oh, I don't have my shit together. Like, I don't, I've, I'm going to, like my husband's going away for two months soon and oh, I fear for my children. Like... <laughs> I don't cook. Um, you know, it's like, what are you willing to kind of disclose? And I think having had, um, and the way this sits as a kind of outlier of my practice is also interesting because it came about 
almost in reaction to all the photographic work I was making. So prior to this, I'd worked primarily in the street, photographing people, um, you know, kind of candid street portraiture, photographing people unaware. And for, after three or four years, that became very creepy. Um, and at exhibitions, I'd always get asked, oh, do you have permission to photograph people? No. Um, oh, you know, have you been in trouble? It's like, no. Well, if I ask someone for permission, then they're going to know I'm, gonna, I'm photographing them and then I will have lost the thing that I'm seeking. Oh, what is the thing that you're seeking? And it's like, what I like about watching people in public space is that they don't know that I'm watching them. And so there's something about their facial expressions in particular that I imagine is revealing something of themselves to me. So... It's a very old, this is a portrait idea that this, the unposed subject is in naked repose and therefore you have access to some more authentic kind of person, expression, subjectivity than you would with a posed face. And I thought, okay, so there's, I, there's an ethical issue with the way I'm working here, obviously, because it keeps getting raised in every single exhibition that I have. So how can I turn this around. I mean, it's a kind of very Sophie Cal type of thing to do after she's like stalked that guy to Venice. She then gets her mother to hire a private detective to follow her. It's like a form of redemption. So I thought this was me attempting to kind of give something over of myself that was private within a public space. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but the other thing is it probably starts off the whole uh, a whole mode of oversharing that um, my nine-year-old son is constantly criticising me for. He's like, "You're an oversharer. You need to stop. You need to stop oversharing." And I was like, "Oh, okay, all right. I'll stop. I'm not sure how to do that." But um, yeah, has, has that been ten minutes? Have I like overtalked yet? Have I overshared? <laughs> So yeah, I don't, these guys are gonna, these guys will kind of make the survey link public, but I would love for you to all participate. It's completely anonymous. So you can, um, yeah, go, go for it. Thank you. Archie Moore's interests include key signifiers of identity, skin, language, smell, home and flags, as well as borders of intercultural understanding and misunderstanding. Archie Moore, Archie Moore was born in Toowoomba in a language, a language group heritage that he understands to be Kalamaroi and lives and works in Brisbane. Archie completed a Bachelor of Visual Arts at the Queensland University of Technology in 1998 and he was awarded the Anne and Gordon Samstag International Visual Arts Scholarships in 2001. Archie has exhibited widely in Australia since then and his contrib contribution to contemporary practice was recognised with a major survey held at the Griffith University Art Museum in 2018. In the same year, Archie received a major commission to create a permanent flag-based installation for the International Terminal at the Sydney Airport in partnership with the MCA. His work has been exhibited at the Monash University Museum of Art, the National Gallery of Australia and the Institute of Modern Art and Goma in Brisbane. And in 2010, Archie was the winner of the Wallara Small Sculpture Prize. Can everyone join me in welcoming Archie? Uh, hello. This is um, kind of started, uh, instigated by Max, actually. It was um, Max's idea for this 
picture, which um, is uh, a recreation of another picture that was posted on Instagram um, on the commercial website uh, page, which was um, at my exhibition at the commercial earlier this year, which these shirts were... Um, there was two, two things exhibited, an installation and then a series of shirts, which was part of an earlier show that was planned to happen but got cancelled at the end. Um, so we were, um, a friend bought this shirt and Amanda from the commercial wanted me to pose with her, with her wearing it with, without my shirt on. And Max saw that and liked it. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and um, I didn't want to use that photo. I thought I'd um, restage it and do something different. Um, so uh, I asked for two models, one uh, a very pale male figure and a dark-skinned female figure to represent my parents. So I often think about um, my identity and where I sit and uh, who, do I who to identify with. And, and also you get questions of your Aboriginality um, from various people, uh, if you're Aboriginal enough or you're too Aboriginal for some people. Um, so there's this kind of um, limbo space or vacillation between white and black and who am I? So. And I have um, a theme with my shows, which is um, trying to put the viewer in my shoes, uh, um, have a shared experience, but more precisely, the impossibility of knowing that you have this experience with another person, and that being a kind of metaphor for reconciliation, and will black, black and white Australia really know or understand each other? Um, so that was originally just going to be the photograph and then thought of um, including the shirt as well, which I think works a lot better. Um, what else can I say? Yeah, like plays on words, always use them in my <laughs> titles. And it's about skin. My, a lot of my work's about skin. What's skin being an identifier? Um, and you know, under, being under something under your skin is kind of um, some an irritation. So maybe being Aboriginal is an irritation. <laughs> so. Um, I kind of have a sort of a body dysmorphia thing as well, so it's putting myself out in a photograph and then also half naked is kind of a, another level for that. And 
but there's a there's a psychological um, effect called the mirror effect where you, if you see or you have a stimulus or you experience a stimulus enough you um, the more you experience it the more comfortable you get with it and so like looking in a mirror would um, you'd become more comfortable with your appearance but the mirror is reversed so you're becoming more comfortable with the reverse image and when you're looking at looking at a photograph you're it's the unfamiliar image that you're looking at so you're that's why people are more uncomfortable with seeing themselves in photographs i think it's the way that you're looking towards the um the black woman um is that the indication of where you're heading with your um, <laughs> Identity. Um, no, that's just that's just um, we just took a lot of photos and um, just chose that one. I, th I chose it because it's more they her looking at me, or they're kind of looking at my body. I think yeah. Anybody have any other questions for Archie? Any, do you want to say anything else? Um, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank Thanks. you so much, Archie. You have been listening to an ACCA podcast recorded by ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne. To listen to more from us, Subscribe to ACCA on Apple Podcasts or follow ACCA on SoundCloud. To find out more about our exhibitions and programs, visit acca.melbourne and sign up to our mailing list.